0: Well, Oprah had the final episode of her 25-year talk show run this past week, and I had a chance to watch it, and she uh, had kind of a last lecture, what she'd learned over the years, it was uh, very interesting, and I, I respected Oprah in the past for the way that she's helped so many people, and she really does have a desire to help people, there's no doubt about it, the way that she's raised social awareness issues and helped people in that way. Uh, But, I don't know, maybe five or so years ago, she took a sharp left turn in her theology and her thoughts about God, and she came under the influence of New Age teaching, and she really has adopted those beliefs. That's all about us. The power is within us. We're the light. You need to connect with the universe, all those different types of things. And her new network, own network, is devoted to basically getting that information out, that false teaching. She said a couple of things that were interesting. She mentioned that, now, I believe in God. And she knew that a lot of people had questions about that. And, and she said, I believe in the same God you believe in. Now, she's talking to millions of people. Now, what does that mean? <laughs> okay, all right? What, what God is this? Uh, at another point, uh, she said the secret of her success was my team and Jesus. Now, a false teacher always does that. They throw in Jesus. because a lot of people who are immature Christians thinking, well, Oprah, she believes in God, she believes in Jesus. i got to listen to what she's saying. And a lot of what she's saying is not from this book. But the most powerful thing that she said that was wrong well, she kind of summed up the problem in, the, in this world. She said, the problem with this world, the problem with you and I is that we do not feel worthy. We do not feel worthy. That's our problem. And the solution, she said, is that we need to be validated. We need to be validated by other people. We need to validate ourselves. You're okay. I'm okay. That kind of thinking. And that's just not what God says. God says the problem in this world is not that you feel unworthy, is that you are unworthy. It's a reality. You're unworthy. In your relationship with the holy God, you are sinful. And therefore, you got a real problem. Sin is the problem. Sin is what makes you unworthy and keeps you from having a relationship with God. And the solution is not to be validated The solution is not positive thinking. The solution is not thinking, oh, I'm going to be better and I'm a great person. The solution is Jesus Christ forgiving your sin and you accepting that as a free gift. That is the solution. We've got to be clear about this. The problem sin. The solution Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ has the power over sin. And that's a theme of our... Message today as we continue in our four-month series, Learning from the Life of Jesus, as we take selected passages from the book of Matthew. I encourage you to open up your Bibles, bring your Bibles with you. Uh, If you don't have a Bible, you can take out your message notes, and I always encourage you to take notes. It's the best way to learn, to write down the impressions that the Holy Spirit gives you as we study along let's open up to matthew chapter 9 matthew chapter 9 verses 1 through 8 now if you look at matthew chapter 8 and 9 i would really encourage you to read both this afternoon when you go home matthew 8 and 9. matthew 8 tells us of many miracles that jesus did the purpose of jesus christ doing miracles was to show his divinity that he was god And it's interesting that as you look at Matthew 8, we we see his miracles and how he has power over different things. First of all, he heals the leper, power over disease. He heals the centurion's servant, power over disease. Pastor Rich did a great job last week teaching on that passage. Then we see Jesus Christ out in the boat with his disciples and he's falling asleep, and all of a sudden this huge storm comes up. They think they're going to die, and Jesus Christ gets up. Does he have little faith? And all of a sudden it's tranquil. The storm is gone. Jesus Christ has power over nature. And there's a demon-possessed man, and he casts the demon out. Jesus Christ has power over the supernatural. And today we see the most important thing is that Jesus Christ has power over over sin. So let's look at Matthew 9:1. Jesus stepped into a boat, crossed over, and came to his own town. Now, what was his own town? Well, we think okay, he grew up in Nazareth, but remember, he had gone to Nazareth, and they had rejected him and his teachings. And we're going to believe the hometown boy. So, he set up his ministry base in Capernaum, and most likely, he stayed at Peter's house wife and his mother-in-law and that's where they live let's get a picture of a typical house in that day first century Uh, this is a very simple house in that day you had the first floor where people uh, did most uh, of the living Uh, Maybe brought some animals in at night and then you had a second floor where it was more of a family type room again if it was a poorer home people would uh, sleep up there as well And the idea is that you had, uh, in most homes, you really had an external staircase that was on the outside of the home. You didn't have these ladders. And then on top, on the roof, they would often go up there because it was a very hot climate. And at night, they would go up there just to cool off and feel the breezes and things of that nature. Now, the story we're going to be looking at today, uh, it happens on the second floor, most likely, the second floor here in the social area. And it's probably a bigger home, a lot of area where a lot of people uh, could gather. So that will help you to uh, visualize uh, what we're going to be talking about. Now, whenever you look at a story or a parable in the Gospels, you want to be sure to see if it's repeated in any of the other Gospels. See if there's a parallel passage in Matthew, Mark, Luke, John—all different accounts of Jesus' life. Now, it happens at this account happens or occurs uh, written about in three of the Gospels Matthew Mark and Luke and John so you want to look at those today i want to look at uh, Mark chapter 2 and Luke chapter 5 and you'll learn some additional things Luke gives us the most information about some of the details here so we'll start there Luke 517 one day as he was teaching Pharisees and teachers of the law who had come from every village of Galilee and from Judea and Jerusalem were sitting there. And the power of the Lord was present for him to heal the sick. So you can imagine them on the second floor in this room and all these religious leaders, I mean a lot of religious leaders, had shown up. Now why is that? Well that's because Jesus Christ was starting to pick up momentum. People were talking about Jesus Christ. They were following him and And also you need to realize that there was a monstrous crowd in this house, around this house. Remember, they didn't have the forms of entertainment that we have today. They had a better form of entertainment. That was actually talking to each other, (laughs) sharing stories, talking about what's going on in in the land. And uh, when people heard about Jesus, they just want to be a part of this. So they knew Capernaum was his home base, and they knew he was going to go there. So when he arrived, there were people all over the place, and the Pharisees knew that he was there. And so they showed up because they wanted to figure out what this Jesus was about. They'd heard a lot about him, and they wanted to see him face to face. They wanted to see uh, miracles that he was doing, how he was healing people. They wanted to hear what he had to say. Because they had to deal with this man, and eventually they did deal with him by having him crucified. So you had the uh, I'm not a fan club of Jesus there. Uh, so we we read on, and it says uh, some men came carrying a paralytic on a mat, and tried to take him into the house to lay him before Jesus. So you have a a paralytic now. Obviously, we have people who are paraplegics today, and it's so challenging. We can't even imagine how difficult that must be. But back in that day, they didn't have the medical technology that we have today and equipment and things like that. It was much worse being a paraplegic. The most significant thing is that everybody thought that this guy had sinned. And that's why he was a paraplegic. So he's kind of shunned. Nobody really wanted anything to do with him. Everybody knew him, but he didn't have much of a social life. These people tended to isolate themselves. And really, this this whole thought of having a disease and sin goes together in scripture in terms of people's perceptions. I mean, we go all the way back to the book of Job, the earliest book written in the old testament. And when Job got sick, and when Job had everything taken away from him, his friends came and they said, What did you do wrong? I mean, with all the bad things that have happened to you, certainly you have sinned in a great way. And Job said, I didn't sin in a great way. But you see, as early as that, that was part of the thinking in that culture. And then you think of the disciples. Well, when they saw a blind man, they said, to Jesus. Now, who sinned here? His parents or the blind man? They assume somebody sinned because he was in this particular situation. So this paralytic really was an outcast. It must have been very difficult to deal with that stigma. But I believe this paralytic wanted to see Jesus. He had a burning desire to see Jesus because he wanted to be healed in a certain way. And we'll see that in a moment. So uh, I think that he probably recruited some friends, recruited some people who cared about him and say, "I want to go see Jesus." So what did they do? When they could not find well, they took him to the house to lay him before Jesus. That was a plan. When they could not find a way to do this because of the crowd. So again, they came up to the house and they saw all these people. <laughs> and they say, "How are we ever going to get our friend to Jesus?" And the friend probably said, keep on going. And uh, so they worked their way through the crowd. Paralytic coming, paralytic coming. Everybody kind of stepped back. I don't know. And so they got closer and closer to the house. And eventually they got to the stairs. And that probably was packed as well. And they said, well, what do we do now? Let's go up the stairs. So they went up the stairs. And they got to the second floor area. And, I mean, it was just packed. There's no room to breathe, and it was hot, and and we're never going to get in there. There's no possible way that these people are going to let us in. So what do we do now? And they said, well, let's go to the roof. So they go to the roof, and they say, let's take off the roof. (laughs) I mean, these guys were really committed, and so they started to take off the roof. Can you imagine that? In order for their friend. To see Jesus and I believe the paralytic certainly wanted this to happen so here the Pharisees are gathered around Jesus teaches the law and other people uh, and all of a sudden beams start to be removed from the roof and they're all kind of looking up like what is going on here and here's a picture uh, a rendering of what it might have looked like uh, them lowering their friend and their friend was kind of on a mat probably a a light mattress that he could roll up, and uh, so they were lowering him down right in front of Jesus. They knew exactly where to do it, and uh, these were people who were serious about what they were doing. Right? It's really interesting. We look at uh, Matthew nine two. It says some men brought him a paralytic line on mat. When Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, "Take your heart." Son, your sins are forgiven. When Jesus saw their faith, Jesus was impressed. Now, they might have thought, well, Jesus is really going to be ticked at us, <laughs> you know. I mean, taking apart the house, you know, interrupting his teaching, all those different types of things. But Jesus, hey, this is a highlight for him thinking, Wow, these people really have faith. And then, you know, Jesus Christ gets excited about your faith. When you exhibit faith in God, when you say, God, I can't do this on my own. I'm going to trust in your power. I don't know how this is going to work out. I am just going to lean on you, and I'm going to see what you're going to do. Without God, it's impossible to please Him. Without faith, that is, it's impossible to please Him. We need to have faith. And the question is, is how strong is your faith Today? How strong is your faith? If you were one of those people carrying the paralytic, when would you have stopped? Would you have stopped when you saw the crowd say, Oh, no, 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 no! this is not going to work. I'm sure Jesus will be back on tour uh, next year, and we can catch him then. Or would you have stopped once you got to the house and saw how congested it was and said, There's no way we're getting Jesus Christ. We're getting the paralytic in there. It's just not going to work. Would you have stopped then? Would you have stopped when, when the other guys got to the roof? We're taking this roof. Are you kidding? We're not taking this roof off. Come on now. This isn't God's will to take this roof off. we got to go home. What are the excuses that you give for not having a faith? And I was thinking about this, and you know what? I think the most common excuse for not having faith is that it's God's will. It's God's will that I not have this money. To live it's God's will that I not have a job it's God's will that this marriage is not going well we just give up and we give up so easily because we don't really believe that God can change things we don't really believe that God can make a difference and what God wants us to do is to come to him and trust in him put our faith in him and saying God I know this looks like an impossible situation but nothing's impossible with you so I'm going to have faith I'm going to continue to pray month after month, even year after year, that things would change, that you would help me to cope with this, and you would change the heart of another person. Maybe it's a marital relationship that you think will never be healed. Or a relationship with a child. That's very challenging. Or you don't have a job. Will you ever have a job? Or your finances or health issue you have to have faith that god is going to do something we need to increase our faith and you just need to start exercising your faith on a daily basis we as a church need to have faith that god is going to do great things for us we set out a goal to pray that god would bring 52 people to come to christ this year In our ministry, and we've already seen 25 because we express faith. Isn't that great? Some adults, some children, some teens. That's what happens when you express faith. We have another goal to uh, have 52 new people step up and say, "I want to be involved in ministry," or they haven't been involved in ministry in a while. You think of Jeff and Leslie and how they they engaged fully in this ministry and a blessing. The blessing they've been uh, to us. We need people to engage. We need people to reach their friends for Christ. We need people to get involved in ministry so we can get the good news out that Jesus Christ has power over sin. That's what people need to hear, not that they're unworthy and they need to be validated. That will get them nowhere. We have the truth. All right? Amen. Thank you. <laughs> I'll amen myself if I have to. <laughs> amen, Dan okay all right we're cooking all right yeah we need to have faith our giving is down here at springbrook fifty thousand dollars from last year fifty thousand dollars that's a lot of money there's a lot of reasons you know people have left the church people are moving people you know one of the reasons is giving is down just with a lot of different families across the board as we've studied it and uh, you know there's a lot of reasons for that obviously we're in the midst of a terrible economy, but again, we all need to exercise faith. We need to say, okay, I might not have the money, but I'm still going to give. I'm still going to trust God for His provision. We need to have faith. We need to pray, God, provide the finances for our ministry. You've called us to do this. And let's take a risk together as we seek to please God. These guys are great examples of people with faith. So we move on. When Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, Take heart, son, your sins are forgiven. There it is. Power over sin. I am forgiving your sins. Now, here's the real interesting thing about this passage is we assume that the paralytic went to Jesus to be healed of his paralysis. But I don't think that was the case. I don't think he went to be healed of his paralysis. I really believe that he went there to be forgiven of his sins because Jesus Christ could read this man's mind. So many times Jesus Christ had done other miracles and not always did he say your sins are forgiven. Several times he did, but not always. And I believe that when a person came to him, he knew why they came to him. He knew why uh, they came to him. Look what it says. Take heart. Don't be afraid. You imagine this guy was nervous. He had just, you know, took took the roof off and you know, didn't know what was going to go down he says don't be afraid in the original language the idea is you have no reason to fear now there is another word for courage says, you better be courageous because you know you're going to have some challenges coming he says there's no reason to fear here son it's a very tender type of word that speaks of a close relationship your sins are forgiven this is what the man wanted more than anything was to have his sins forgiven. We're not sure why. Sometimes sin and illness are related. Sometimes when you rebel against God, He causes illness in your life. We don't like to think about that. Why would God do that to me? He loves me. Yeah, He does love you. And if He needs to cause illness in your life to bring you back into relationship with Him, He will do that. Now, don't get paranoid about every cold you have. (laughs) those type of things but at the same time we need to recognize that i think the majority of illnesses are just because we live in a sinful world that's been cursed by god because of our sin and that's why we have disease and all the other problems this world brings us but it could have been that some sin prompted the paralysis we're not sure um maybe he was just guilty about his sin and that's, that's what happens before a person comes to Christ is that the Holy Spirit speaks to that person and says, you're a sinner and you need forgiveness. And I believe that this man knew that and he wanted to be forgiven by Jesus Christ. He wanted that mental freedom to no longer to hold on to that guilt and to, to suffer under it. Sin is our problem, friends. It's not that we feel unworthy. It's that We're sinful sin sin batters away at us day by day think of Arnold Schwarzenegger right he committed sin years back and he had a son for an adulterous relationship and he's carried that burden for a while now and now he's really feeling the implications of that and of course that's a celebrity but that scenario of course happens every day multiple Multiple times a day here in the United States, that type of sin goes on. And it's hurting people. It's hurting people. We, we hurt people through our sin, and people hurt us. Whether it be lying, gossip, stealing, selfishness, disobeying the rules, sin in fact every day we have a sin report it's called the local news right the local news is a sin report i mean really if we didn't have any sin in this world we wouldn't have much to report per se i mean it starts out sin 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 and then the weather okay not too much sin there but uh then we go back to sin 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 then we get the sports Now, the bulls and the heat, I mean, somebody sinned there. There's sin in sports. I'll tell you that right now. Then more sin, sin, sin. And at the very end, you know what they have? They have a human interest story, which means, hey, people are good inherently. Look what this person did for this person. Look what they did. But be back tomorrow when they'll tell you about some more sin. Because it's all about sin. This world is saturated with sin. And Jesus Christ has the power over sin. He's the only one who does. And that is what we want to get out to this community. That's what we give to this church. That's why we serve. That's why we tell people about Jesus. He has the power over sin. Not only that, but He's given us a new capacity over sin. We're no longer slaves to sin once we accept Christ as our Savior. We're given a new ability to be able to no longer have sin rule our lives, but to have holiness rule our lives, to do good works, to love other people. Isn't that amazing? What a wonderful gift God. Yeah, let's give God a hand, man. Amen. God has given us power over sin and that is what we can enjoy and that's the the news that we want to get out to other people we want to communicate the good news about jesus christ we move on matthew 9 3 at this some of the teachers of the law said to themselves this fellow's blaspheming blaspheming now they, they were just thinking it okay all right now he's forgiven He's forgiving sin, so only God can forgive sin. So he's a blasphemer. And I could see why they would think that. Well, we look at what Jesus says in verse 4. Knowing their thoughts, Jesus said, Why do you entertain evil thoughts in your hearts? You can read their minds, right? He says, Why are you calling calling me a blasphemer? Then he asked them a question, 9-5. Which is easier to say, your sins are forgiven, or to say, get up and walk? Now, this is a <laughs> this is a trick question that he asks the religious leaders there. Which is easier? Your sins are forgiven? Now, he would think, well, that's easier to say. I can look at Jeff and say, Jeff, your sins are forgiven. Now, nobody knows. I mean, obviously, I don't, you're going to think that I just forgave his sins. But, I mean, if I just really believe it, you know, And Jeff is, (laughs) he's really out of it. Uh, He might believe that, okay? (laughs) That I've forgiven his sins, and all the rest of you are saying, Harrison's a crackpot. All right, but but I could say that, but there's no way to prove it is what I'm trying to say here. Uh, But get up and walk. I mean, if there was somebody who was paralyzed here, and I said get up and walk, everybody would know whether I had the power or not. That would be a clear demonstration. Now, okay, so the religious leaders are sitting there thinking, okay, which is easier to say? Your sins are forgiven. Well, we, we can't say that because only God forgives sins. Only God forgives sins. So we can't say that, all right? Uh, that's not easy to say. Or get up and walk. No, that's, that's not easy to say either because we, we can't do that. So neither are easy to say. There's no record of them responding to this question because they didn't know how to respond. So Jesus Christ goes on, and he says in 9.6, But so that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. Then he said to the paralytic, Get up and take your mat and go home. So what's he doing? He's setting them up here. He says, Okay, you guys, I've forgiven this man's sin. That's what I've said. You don't believe me but I'm going to do something that you cannot say it didn't happen that only God can do that that is to heal a paralytic so that you'll know you'll know that I'm God I'm proving to you that I'm God you didn't believe that I forgive this man's sin because you can't see it but you'll be able to see him walk but so you may know that the Son of God the Son of Man that I'm God Jesus Christ is saying has authority on earth to forgive sins By healing this man, I'm going to show you that I had authority to say that to him, and his sins are forgiven. Then he said to the paralytic, paralytic, get up, take your man, go home. So he sets these guys up so beautifully. And that's one of the wonderful things about reading the Gospels, how he sets, I mean, they're always trying to trick Jesus Christ. They're always trying to put him in a corner. Well, Jesus Christ always puts them back in a corner. He says, now watch this, okay? So he's laid the argument out for him this is what made him so mad this is why they forced him to the cross uh so everybody's standing around right what drama going on and, and you can imagine the four friends you know they're looking down from the hole in the ceiling and they're gonna they're wondering what's gonna happen next and this guy stands up this guy stands up and these people knew who he was. This is the paralytic down the street, right? The guy we never hang around with. They knew that he was paralyzed. It would be kind of like when Christopher Reeve was alive. Very well-known, paraplegic, man who had a real heart. Uh, if, if he was on some talk show and somebody said, I command you to get up and walk, and he did, we'd go, like, wow. Wow. <laughs> Did that just happen? Uh, you know, let's go back with the DVR and watch that again. Uh, that, that's amazing. And these people actually saw it. And his friends are looking. I, I, I'm surprised they didn't fall in. They <laughs> just, you know, all four of them, boom. You know, like, we can't believe this is happening. Their, their friend is healed of his paralysis. And the, the people, they, they must have cheered at that point. Probably not the Pharisees. <laughs> They're really feeling kind of embarrassed right now. And then we read in verse seven exactly what happened, and the man got up and went home. We're out of here. <laughs> he rolls up his mattress, uh, puts it under his arm, and and walks out. And and again, you you kind of have to get into the story. I mean, you think they just kind of calmly walked home? Yeah, that was good. That was good. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I can imagine they're dancing. I mean, he's moving every part of his body that he can. You can't believe this has happened as friends are exhilarated, you know, and they're running and they're jumping and they're dancing and they're saying, it's a miracle! Now we can all understand it, but I tell you what, friends, that wasn't the real miracle. The real miracle is that these, this person's sin was forgiven. That's much more exciting than a person being healed of paralysis. You understand that? We've got to understand that. We've got to get that into our heads that a person's sin being forgiven by Jesus Christ is the most exciting event that can ever take place on this earth. And when you have an opportunity to be a part of that that experience, when you hear about it, when you hear somebody say, my sins have been forgiven, we should get excited and say, wow, God did it again. Because of the cross, because of what Jesus Christ did, a life has been transformed, sins have been forgiven, and eternity has been changed, and that is what we're about, is seeing this miracle happen time and time again. I tell you what, if I, every week, healed a person at this church, whatever their disease was, especially if it was visual, man, this place would be packed out. They'd want to see Dan... The miracle man <laughs> you know? the faith healer i tell you what friends we're we're letting god do miracles through us that's why you should be here every week that's why you should be engaged in this life changing family of god that's why you should be giving that's why you should be praying that's why you should be doing everything you can Because we've got the best news on earth. Oprah tells millions of people, just feel better about yourself. And we say, no, God says you need the forgiveness of Jesus Christ. That's what you need. That's going to change your life. All right? Well, we see the crowd was amazed. Verse 8, when the crowd saw this, they were filled with awe. And they praised God who had given such authority to men. They didn't understand, you know, he was fully God, fully man. All that. They knew that God was there. They knew that God was working through this man and that this man had authority not only to heal a paralytic, but to forgive sins. Amazing. They were filled with awe, which really is the word fear. Pablo, in the original language. Fear. They were filled with fear interesting word. Let's look at the next passage. Acts 9 31 talks about the growing church in Acts. And the church throughout Judea, Galilee, and Samaria enjoyed a time of peace. It was strengthened and encouraged by the Holy Spirit and grew in numbers, living in the fear of the Lord. So what these people experienced when they saw Jesus Christ forgive sins and raise this man from the dead, they were filled with fear. It's not like a trembling type of fear. But it means that you know that you are in the presence of someone who is infinitely superior than you are. That's a fear we're talking about. Infinitely superior than you are. Think of a president that you respect or have respected in the past. Okay? Think of the greatest president that you think we've ever had, and, and and imagine being in their presence, okay? Infinitely superior, superior, and of course, you know, presidents, whatever, I mean, God is infinitely superior, and you see, friends, that is the key to the Christian life, we look at this next verse, Philippians 2, 12, Therefore, my dear friends, as you have always obeyed, not only in my presence, but I'll how much more in my absence continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling? What does that mean, fear and trembling? It doesn't mean we're just walking around nervous all the time. Yeah, you know, that person's a Christian, you can tell. You know? <laughs> no, it means that you realize who God is. If you're going to grow in your Christian life, you need to grow in your knowledge of God. The more you understand God, the more you understand who you are, who you rela- what your relationship is to Him, and how you need to continue to pursue, pursue purity in your life because you serve a holy God and He has enabled you through His Spirit to be pure, to live in purity. When you get to know God, God hates sin. God hates sin. And the more you get to know Him, the more you hate sin. And the problem that you and I have is we don't hate sin enough. If you really hated sin, you'd do something about it in your life. But the sin that you're struggling with, you don't hate enough. I'll bring my skunk friend back up here. A picture of my skunk friend. There he is. All right. I told this story several weeks ago. We had a skunk under our deck, and I spent so much time. I spent money. Because I hated that skunk. I hated that skunk. I'll say it. I hated it. Nothing personal. But I didn't want living at my house. So, you know, I'd set out traps and bought cat food and, you know, anything to get that scum. Finally, I just took a hose, put it in there. It's going to came right out. But I tell you what, I put a lot of energy because I hated that scum getting rid of it. Now, tell me, think about a sin in your life, okay? God's forgiven you of that sin, but you let it rule in your life. You let it you let it possess you. You, you let it run your life. You let it fill your heart with sinful desires and and, uh, it's killing you man but you're comfortable with it you don't hate it you know what you need to do you need to pray that God would fill you with a hatred toward that sin because if you hate something enough you're gonna do everything you can to get rid of it so number one if you've never received the forgiveness of Jesus Christ for your sins if you've never said God I'm a sinner And I need you. You've never experienced the miracle that we've talked about this morning. I challenge you to do that. Uh, Accept the free gift of salvation, not because of your works, only because of what Jesus Christ has done for you. Secondly, if you are a Christ follower, stop living as a slave to sin because you're no longer a slave to sin. Start hating your sin. You got a sin? Ask God to convict you of that sin. Look at verses about that sin. Ask God to help You feel about that sin the way he feels about it. Some next steps here. Take out your welcome slip. All right. The tear off from the bulletin. You'll see some numbers there. I've got it down as uh, letters. But uh, it should be one, two, three, four. And right under your name, say, I'll claim Jesus' power over sin in my life. If you're really committed to hating a sin with Christ's power overcoming it, write down or circle number one. Circle number one. I'll read one chapter of Matthew a day you got to get in the Word. And we're studying Matthew. Circle number two. I'll cultivate a relationship with an unbeliever in my life. Circle number three. I'll get involved in a Springbrook ministry. I'll engage here because we're doing a great work. Circle number four. Let's pray together. Lord, thank you that you have the power over sins. Unfortunately, so many people are listening to Oprah. And, of course, Oprah is not the only one. That is a message of the world. Just feel better about yourself. But you can't do that if you're a sinner. Lord, I pray that we would give everything that we have our time, our energy, our money, our life, in order to see lives transformed. And see people seeing you their sins. In Christ's name.